Grace and peace to you in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't know if any of you have heard of Richard Dawkins. He's uh, an atheist of some prominence. Uh, By trade, he's a biologist. He's a brilliant biologist. Uh, Philosophically, he's what we refer to as a philosophical materialist. What that means, long and short, is that he doesn't believe there's any transcendence to anything. There's nothing that exists outside of nature. Everything that we observe in the world uh, is due to physical processes. So everything we experience, everything we know, everything that exists is due to what is happening physiologically, materially in the world. Well, in his 2006 book, The God Delusion, Dawkins makes reference to an internet sensation that I actually think is kind of funny. I, I, I think it's actually really, really brilliant. If I were an atheist, I suppose I'd, I'd uh, uh, probably appreciate it even more, but there were these group of there was this group of atheists who decided that they were going to worship a being that cannot be proven or disproven and this being they coined the flying spaghetti monster now this flying spaghetti monster of course needs a church and so the church of the flying spaghetti monster was created, and the supreme ruler on earth, the the head of that church, is Chef Boyardee. Now, sad to say, uh, division quickly entered into the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Now, not only is there Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, there is also the Reformed Church of Alfredo. It remains to be seen whether there will be further divisions. This is a ridiculous attempt, obviously. The, the, the um, Dawkins, the people on the internet, are using an absurdity in order to illustrate what they believe is absurd. And what they believe is absurd, obviously, is belief in God. But this works itself out in even more popular strains. It doesn't even have to get quite as far as atheism, per se. We actually find it quite a bit in popular culture. Now, what this looks like for me, I'm aging myself a little bit, but when I was in college uh, the first time, when I was in college, this looked a little bit like a song by Joan Osborne called One of Us. And the lyrics were, what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Now, the thing that always popped into my mind is, why would God want to be a slob? However, that, keeping in mind that this was uh, directly, immediately after the grunge movement, I guess there were still a few uh, leftover, uh, a little bit of leftover disgustingness. At any rate, we see in this a common theme. It's not easy to pick out at first, but it's there. And that theme is God changes. You see, Dawkins assumes through, well, not Dawkins particularly, but the allusion that Dawkins makes to this group of the flying spaghetti monster and the same allusion that Joan Osborne makes, it makes the assumption that God can change. And you know, I think that comes as a result of the way that the church has tended to talk about God. You see, what tends to happen, and I don't think Joan Osborne was trying to mock anybody. I think she was just singing from her worldview. But what tends to happen, particularly in examples where people attack Christianity, is that they take the weakest position within Christianity and then make a mockery of it. They caricature the views 
that are held. And so for Dawkins, for this internet group, this idea of a being that cannot be proven but is made up of the sum of its parts, it becomes a caricature of the Christian view of God. Well, what does this look like to Christians? Why do I say that the way that Christians tend to talk about faith often mimics the God that Dawkins is talking about. Obviously, when we talk about God, we're not talking about a being with these little spaghetti noodle arms, tentacles, or uh, a meatball body or anything along those lines. So why would I say that we're kind of talking about the same thing? Well, the reason that I think we're sometimes saying the same thing in the Christian church, we're just Christianizing it, is that we get these mental images of who God is, and then we think, that's God. I don't know what your image is. Maybe it's uh, an older man uh, with a beard up in heaven, and I mean, he's ripped. You know, he's, he, he spends like three hours a day in the gym. He's huge, but just ripped. He's got, uh, you know, maybe we'll throw a little bit of Greek God stuff in there where he's got a thunderbolt in his hand, and man, he is just, he could throw that thing right on down and, and, and send uh, an entire town into chaos in a second if he wanted to. Sometimes I think that's the view that Christians get of God. He sits on this throne, he's way up there, and he's just uh, ruling with an iron fist. Then there's another view of God that we seem to get, where it, this, is, this is sort of the Jesus God, um, but to a very squishy end. It's, it's God with very soft eyes, a very soft way of relaying himself to the world. It's the footprints in the sand God. You know the one I'm talking about where he never says anything that would challenge or get you to think about things in a different way. Instead, he's just here to support you, support group God. And so those are two extremes. Now, do I think that most people in the Christian church believe either of those are God in fullness? Probably not. But sometimes the assumptions that we bring to our faith, sometimes the way we speak about our faith in God would presume that that's sort of what God is like. Now, what do these have in common? What do these views have in common with the Dawkins and the Osborne? Osborne, pardon me. What they have in common is that they see God as a thing. They see God as a thing. A quantity, matter, made up of something. That's not the Christian view of God. Christian view of God is that God is all there ever was, ever will be, ever can be, should be. He's fully actualized. There's nothing that God can become. When you look at a flying spaghetti monster, what you see is something that's made up of parts. You see something that is in the process of becoming something else. Maybe what that thing was before isn't it as good as it's going to become. And what about this God, this, this footprints in the sand God? Well, this God is taking his cues from us. Coming to us when we need him. And that's not a bad thing if we keep in mind that that's not all there is to God. God is not only who comes to us, we should be ascending to holiness, to what God would have us become. Well, today's Old Testament lesson shows us that the Israelites certainly got this part mixed up. 
you know, I, I feel like a broken record player as we go through the Old Testament uh, and we, we consider our New Testament lessons because it seems like the Israelites are just doing the same doggone thing over and over again. And they are. In essence, they, they really are. Um, this week, yes, God, again, as I've said before, he has delivered them. But Moses has gone to speak with God up in the mountain. They are left down there, and uh, Aaron is sort of serving as the as the leader. Well, they come before him and they say, "We don't know who this God who uh, this God is that Moses is going to see, but we do know the God of e- Egypt, the gods of Egypt. So uh, make for us a God, Aaron." And so Aaron says, okay, give me all your, all your gold. So they bring the gold. He makes this golden calf statue. And they say, this is our God. This is who we're going to worship. They have a feast to worship this God. Well, then God throws a fit. Threatens to destroy them. And Moses has to go out of his way to seemingly persuade God to change his mind. Now, there are two things that immediately jump out to me. First of all, why does God react so strongly? Why? I mean, come on. You know, they're alone. Give them a little bit of a break, God. He seems harsh, doesn't he? The language that he uses, the wrath of God burned hot against the Israelites. He wanted to destroy them. That's strong stuff. But the second thing is this. Second thing is this. Um, Does God change his mind? Are Dawkins and Osborne maybe right? Does God change his mind? You know, it says that Moses is talking to God, and then God decides not to destroy them after all. Well, if he did change his mind, there's a problem. Because in Malachi 3.6, we read that I, the Lord, do not change. And if the Lord does not change then he can't very well change his mind. And if he does, we've got a problem because the scripture has just contradicted itself. And not just contradicted itself in something like genealogy or timelines, but to the very nature of God. To the very essence of God. What do we do with that? Well, I can tell you what the church has always done with it. It's actually a pretty simple fix, a pretty simple explanation. The Bible is always using language that we can identify with in order to help us understand our faith better. Moses uses language in the book of Exodus in order to help us understand what he was experiencing when he was conversing with God and how that got down to the Israelites when when Moses comes back. Long and short, God is ticked off. He's upset. He's, as, as the scriptures say, he burns hot. His wrath burned hot. And so what do we learn by this? What, is this? what are the scriptures really trying to communicate? That God changed his mind? That you can change God's mind? No. What the scriptures are communicating is that God has a way and he's upset. And in a word, that way or in a word, the reason he's upset is because the God that the Israelites turn to is false. It doesn't exist. There is no golden calf other than the the image that they've made. Nothing goes beyond that golden calf. 
You see, what they've done is they've taken God as he's revealed himself and reverted back to something where they're just guessing. There's no revelation to this. This is just people guessing about the nature of God rather than taking what God has revealed to Moses and saying this is how God has revealed himself, the unchanging nature of God. And the real concern is that this ultimately leads to a misguided spiritual compass. You know, if we've learned one thing about humanity in regards to the way we conceive of God, the way we talk about God, it's that we have this innate ability to mistake corruption for the good. And what do I mean by corruption? What do you think I mean by corruption? When I say corruption, really what I'm saying is it's just not the right. It's not the good. It's not what's actually there. When we talk about God as he's revealed himself, we're talking about him in truth. But then when we go and try to turn him into something that we want him to be, we're not talking about the God who's existed. We're not talking about the God of Israel who actually led them out of the land of Egypt. Same principle is found in today's gospel lesson. You know, we tend to see the wedding garment, this wedding garment, as the point of the entire text. This man comes to the wedding feast, he's not wearing the right garment, and the host of the feast becomes angry and casts him out. Casts him out. It's easy to look at the wedding garment and think that's the point. That's really not the point. You see, the wedding garment was just a symbol in the mind of the person who was receiving this message. And the symbol was this. Father's throwing a feast for his son. The father being our heavenly father, the son being Jesus Christ. The feast being the feast that honors the son. Lifts up the son. Says, this is who I want your attention turned to. All these people come into this feast with garments that are in keeping with the honor that would be showed to the son. Except one person who just kind of comes in, you know, bouncing around like he's back on the block. Doesn't care one way or the other about what's really going on. Just shows up how he wants to show up. Yeah, I I guess this God thing's kind of cool. This son thing's kind of cool. He doesn't really care doesn't give it a second thought just walks in however he feels like he should be able to walk in there's no reverence no respect which really means there was no changed life this person could care less about the son and so remembering that this is a parable this is just a person who's received the message of the gospel but they've rejected the message it hasn't changed their behavior at all it hasn't made them a new creation Still, from our perspective, this might seem a little bit harsh. But if you put yourself, and I know it's impossible. I know it's impossible to do. I know we can't do it because we can't understand God in fullness. But if you were to put yourself in God's shoes for just a second, and I want to be real careful with this. I don't want to uh, uh, make this into something that we can't do. But I, I just want you to try it for a second. Put yourself in God's shoes. You've created the universe You sustain the universe. You do all the things. You give all the blessings. You do everything that these people need. And then they, you you even reveal yourself to them. You even reveal yourself to them through Moses. And then what do they do? They go and worship something that doesn't even exist. You reveal yourself 
to a wedding guest, and then what does he do? He doesn't even care. Doesn't even care. Well, let me ask you this. Would it be more loving to allow people to exist in that ignorance or to correct them? God's love is always corrective, even though sometimes it hurts. So what's the better thing to do? To make them uncomfortable with their misgivings? Make them, not misgivings, but make them uncomfortable with the things they think incorrectly? Or to leave them in what seems comfortable? What God would have us do is turn away from the falseness of the world and turn toward the truth that exists in him and in the world. You see, accepting, living in, reveling in brokenness, that doesn't fix anything. It doesn't shed us of our corruptions. It doesn't overcome the evil that exists in us. It just allows us to bask in that evil, to live in it like it's no big deal. Well, what does good look like? What does it look like? What does God want to see in us? When we talk about how the world reflects God, when we think about how the world reflects the unchangeable nature of God, what are we talking about? Well, Paul tells us a little bit in today's New Testament lesson. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, folks, when you see the good as God defines it, when you see things that are honorable as God defines it, when you see things that are just, pure, pleasing and commendable is God through Jesus Christ defines it you're seeing truth and then we live into that truth that's what's real do you know that sin's not real sin doesn't exist on its own sin has no power on its own all that sin can do is leech on to the good And try to distort it. Make it ugly. That's what happened with the Israelites today. In today's lesson. The good was being experienced and lived through the power of God. The bad comes and distorts that. Takes their eyes off who God really is. Happens to us sometimes too, doesn't it? Think about your own life. Think about the evil that you experience. And I don't mean evil by utterly depraved where everything goes bad. But you know what's really difficult in life? I had a friend point this out to me the other day. He said, you know, it's not the things that just seem utterly depraved that are so difficult. It's when you got a little bit of good and a little bitty bit of bad that makes life difficult. Because then it's hard to discern. So what do we do about that? Well, we have to have something objective. I, the Lord, do not change. God does not change. It's hard to envision that. Everything in our world is moving on to something else, some other state, 
relationships go from bad to good. You know, our cars uh, come off assembly lines, brand new, ready to go, and then over time, they die. Physical structures need to be maintained or they break down. Over and over and over again. Not even over and over and over again. Everything in our world is in a state of becoming something else. Mature becomes immature. Immature becomes mature. Good goes to bad. Bad goes to good. There's no standing still. And so to conceive of this God, who never didn't exist, who never changes, who can't learn anything more than he already knows, who doesn't need anything else than he already is, well, to, to conceive of a God like that is difficult. But thank God he is that way. Because if he wasn't, nothing would be certain. Nothing would be sure. We'd just be left guessing. In fact, if God had potential, if God could move from good to bad, if God were changing, we'd all be swallowed up. Because there'd be nothing secure. Nothing firm. We'd just be left to figure it out on our own. You know, I think sometimes the work of God is so fundamental to everything that we do that it's easy to overlook. If you think about every single physical process that occurs in our world, if one thing goes wrong, if one thing gets out of whack, out of kilter, the world becomes nothing. But we don't expect that because we expect things to work the way that they tend to work. That's what the entire scientific endeavor is. It takes scientific method and it says, this is what we've observed in the past. This is what we'll continue to observe. And then they go with that. Taking observable things and then making further observations and hypotheses. You take some of those things out of whack, everything changes. And so thank God they don't change unless they change within a species or a Guinness or within something. Well, that's a little bit of a rabbit trail. But thank God that he does not change. I thank God that we're the ones who were called to change instead. So, you know, I guess if I were talking to Joan Osborne, and it'd be a kind conversation. I, I, I actually enjoyed the song. I thought it was kind of a catchy song. But I guess what I would have to say to Joan Osborne and what I have to say to you is this. Rather than, what if God was one of us? The call of our hearts should be, what if we were more like God? What if we were more like God? What if we were living into the unchangeableness of God? Rather than expecting God to change for us. And what would this look like? Well, here are a few traits that we see in Jesus. And when we see the face of Jesus, we actually see God. Here's what we know about Jesus. First of all, he ate with prostitutes. He ate with tax collectors. He ate with Gentiles. He saved an adulterous woman from being stoned. Did he leave it at that? No. You know what he did? He loved them into righteousness. Rather than pointing a finger at him and saying, get your act together. His approach was, God loves you. 
Repent. There's a better way for your life. I'll take care of all this garbage over here. I got all this other stuff. Yeah, these Pharisees over here that want to stone you, lady, I'll take care of that. These Pharisees that want to tell me I shouldn't be eating with people like you, I'll take care of that. But here's what I have for you. What I have for you is a changed life. What I have for you is the promise that God loves you so much that he will change your heart, change your affections, and help you to realize life as it's really supposed to be. Hmm. God doesn't change. Praise God, we get to change. Because God loves us enough to bring that change about in us. Brothers and sisters, we have a message to take to Harrison County that the unchangeable God loves them because he doesn't change. The one constant in God, the most found, or perhaps I should say the most foundational constant in God is that he loves And because of that love, he can change anybody. I want you to think of somebody in your life right now. I want you to put it in your head. One person who you are absolutely convinced cannot change. Is lost, can't change. God can change that person. God can break through their life. What does this look like for you and me? Well, as I sent mentioned in my newsletter the other day, or not my newsletter, but my letter in the newsletter. We're in a season now that the church, the Methodist church, used to refer to as kingdom tide. This kingdom tide put people's focus outside the four walls of the church and said, what are we going to do outside those walls? You know what I think that looks like in our church at Cordon United Methodist Church, and you know how I think it's going to work in regards to getting that message out? I think it's going to mean going to the undesirables, quote unquote, in our community and saying, Jesus Christ loves you. I think it's going to mean opening up our homes to one another, having accountability groups, study groups, and then inviting people into those groups instead of expecting people who've been wronged by the church to come into the church. I think it's going to look like forming communities outside our immediately four walls and taking the saving message of Jesus Christ to the people in this community, in Corridon, in Harrison County, and all around. Taking the unchangeable nature of God, that loving, unchangeable nature, to people who need it and want it, but are scared to death to step inside a building. We have that in us. We're going to do that. We are going as a congregation to make it our sole goal to get out there and change hearts and lives for people. You know, I've changed a lot, I guess, in the last several weeks. Maybe I've put things that uh, aren't ultimate and made them ultimate, ultimate, And unfortunately by that, from time to time, made the gospel sort of the secondary thing. That is the thing. 
And if I have at any point given the impression that I think the gospel comes second to the way we things do things, then I apologize for that. That's not what I believe. What I believe fundamentally in my heart is that God loves. I believe he's revealed the fullness of that love through the person of Jesus Christ and we now have an opportunity to take that message to people in this community. It's gonna happen by forming small communities within the community, inviting people into those communities and then coming together as one community in this church to worship. But this is just the segue. What we do in here is important but it's just as important that we get it out there. An unchangeable God for a changeable people. The wonderful blessing, folks, the wonderful thing about sharing the gospel. You know, Dawkins, we can't prove God. We can't prove God. Scientific method is not designed to prove God. But Dawkins can't disprove God. And I've read his work. He tries, but he can't do it. You know why? Because there are some things you just can't prove through material processes. I can't prove to you why music is beautiful. I can't prove to you through scientific process why I love my children why you love your children. I can't prove to you, I can't explain to you, I can't demonstrate to you through scientific method why I know that God exists because he changed me and he changed others. But I don't have to prove it. You don't have to prove it. Not through scientific method anyway. And that's what Dawkins and all these others would say that you have to do. All you have to do is take the unchangeable love of Jesus Christ and share that with other people. And that's proof enough. When those people's lives are affected by Jesus Christ, when our lives are affected by Jesus Christ, that's Christian proof. You'll never be able to replicate it in a lab that's okay. But a changed life, a life that is full of the Holy Spirit, a life that knows that there is a God, that is Christian proof. Let's take that proof into this community and change the world around us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you've given us everything we will ever need to worship you in fullness and in truth. Help everything we do as a congregation be to reach people, to worship you in spirit and truth, and to reach people with that same spirit and truth. Thank you for not changing. Thank you for being constant. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live into the truth of your unchanging nature. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.